So why do people fall away? Why do people that seem to be solid Christians end up turning away from God? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. I am delighted and blessed to be with you. Here's the number to call with your questions, with your comments, with your concerns, with your criticisms, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. In a few minutes, we're going to dive into today's subject about believers falling away. We're not going to get into a theological debate about whether a true Christian can truly fall away or not. There's all kinds of debate about that. Some would say the person was never really saved. Some would say if they really are saved, they can't really fall away. Others would say they could fall away and still be really saved. We're not going to get into that minutia. We are going, which is an important discussion. We've had it other times. But we want to be practical in terms of, well, regardless of whether the person truly knew the Lord parts of the Lord, was elect before the foundation of the Lord, whatever, we know that there are people that were professing Christians that fell away. You might be one of them. Why? Why do people lose faith? Why do they follow it? We're going to tackle that today. And if you're one of them, or if it's a friend or loved one, and, and here's why, this is the reason they fell away, by all means, give us a call. We want to talk these things through in a practical level. And I'll tell you how I got to that subject for today in a little while. Before we do that, though, There is major news from the Middle East, and it's news that affects the Kurds who have been allies in the fight against ISIS and in the fight against radical Islam and have been victims of ISIS and radical Islam. It affects the Kurds. It also affects Israel. And what is is happening is that the United States is saying, okay, we're pulling out of Syria and we're going to leave it to Turkey to deal with ISIS. Turkey has enough issues with ISIS. We're going to leave it to Turkey to deal with ISIS. Well, Turkey also has an issue with the Kurds. So I was just looking at some headlines today on Jerusalem Post. Uh, one of them says this. Uh, the uh, uh, Lindsey Graham, Nikki Haley on Trump's Syria plan. It is disaster in the making. Strong words from Lindsey Graham. Loyal to the president, Nikki Haley, loyal to the president, our ambassador to the U.N. uh, until recently. This is a disaster in the making. Look at what Nikki Haley tweeted out herself. Okay, she said, we must always have the backs of our allies if we expect to have them to have our back. The Kurds were instrumental in our successful fight against ISIS in Syria. Leaving them to die is a big mistake with the hashtag Turkey is not our friend. And, and yet, leaving them to die is not just a big mistake. It, it's, it's a big humanitarian disaster. Now, why is the president doing this? Obviously, he has more security intel than any of us have. He has access to more information. On what basis is he doing it? I can't give you the details of that. But just a few days ago, a friend of mine who's right in the thick of this, Living in the midst of this and and going into countries related to this and working with other believers on the front lines, he sent me a a video 
uh, done by a colleague over a half hour long, about 37 minutes long. And I, I didn't have time to watch it. I believe I was flying when, when I got it. But he sent it to me. I said, can you give me a summary? So this is what he wrote to me. All right. He said, while the U.S. is distracted by impeachment, Turkey is about to move into northern Syria, pushing out or slaughtering Kurds. So the Kurds are largely Muslims, but they have been in, caught in the crosshairs, first with Saddam Hussein. He gassed thousands of Kurds, what, in the 80s? And we've got a large team or a growing team in, in that part of the Middle East, in northern Iraq, in Kurdistan, uh, doing an amazing work among these people. And they have been some of the most ferocious fighters fighting against the Kurds and, and uh, excuse me, fighting against ISIS and dying at the hands of, of ISIS. So they have been allies. They have, they have been on the front lines fighting against our common enemies. And it, within Turkey, there are Kurds that have been slaughtered. So this is an ongoing issue and, and a humanitarian issue. Okay. Uh, so at the same time, as my friend wrote this to me, Iran is aggressively moving in Iraq, visibly so right now in attempting to quell protests in Baghdad. The conflict is an ancient one of the spiritual forces of Persia and the Ottoman area. The Kurds, with whom Israel closely identifies, are the immediate target. At the center of it all is Israel. Soleimani has surrounded and infiltrated Israel with proxies. There is reason to suspect he will make a move against Israel under cover of Turkey's invasion into northern Syria. I Listen, I'm not there. I don't have intel that others have. But as I got these warnings a few days ago, and then I saw the headlines this morning, and I saw the reaction of Senator Graham, and I saw the reaction of former Governor Haley, and the, the intensity of what they're saying, it concerns me. Look, here's another headline on Jerusalem Post, and, and it asks this question. Can Israel trust the U.S. after Syria withdrawal? I mean, the fact that that's a headline at all is indicating how absolutely important this issue is. And how you say, but what? We can't fight everybody else's battles. I understand, but we are a military force in different parts of the world for largest strategic issues, sometimes to protect our allies, sometimes because our allies are important for our interest in certain parts of the world. The security of Israel is important for our interest in the Middle East. We understand that. And, and the stability of Syria, a lot of are affected by that. Obviously, Iran has been active in Syria and attacking Israel from their funding Hezbollah. And Iran helps fund Hamas, so helps attack Israel from the, the southwest and from the north and, and, and the northwest, tries to attack them, and then obviously threatening from the east. These are ongoing issues that need to be considered. And right now, uh, this the only thing I've seen is that the president has made at times very wrong moves and wrong decisions and announced them and gotten massive pushback from conservatives at which point he's retreated some. He realized, okay, that was ill-advised, or this is upsetting my base, or whatever, or he thought better of it. So let there be a continued outcry that this is a terrible mistake. We're talking about human beings who could be slaughtered. They fought against ISIS. They fought outmanned. They fought with tremendous courage. Men and women fighting on the front lines and giving their lives to fight for their freedom. And then obviously, above all, we want to pray that the gospel would get to them so that they could know Jesus and have eternal life and hope within this world. All right. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. 
there are a, ma- a number of major things going on here in the United States. What's the latest on the impeachment? When there's major, major news that I feel is worthy of our attention, we'll, we'll address it. We'll address it uh, here on the radio. But otherwise, as I said last week, we're going to avoid Trump impeachment fever, meaning, we're not, oh, this happened, and we know the whistleblower, and we don't, I mean, who's going to be involved in that? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not criticizing those who are focused on that. And I'm not saying that it's wrong for other news outlets to focus on that. But we're talking about an ongoing soap opera of massive proportions that's going to get you more drawn in by the day. You ever been drawn in by a TV series or something like that? It's like, what? what? I, I got to wait a whole week? Or, or now people will, uh, what's it called, binge watch? You just watch episode after episode. It's like you know the characters and they're real and you get drawn in. We're getting drawn in to the point that our emotions are getting pulled and we're stressed and we're anxious. And this is the main thing we're thinking about. And instead of meeting with the Lord and praying, which what's the latest news and what's happening here. So we are not going to do that. All right. We're not going to be doing that. But when there's major news, we'll we'll bring it to you. If you want to see my video or my article and how to avoid Trump impeachment fever, I have it in written form and in video form. Just go to our website Brown, askdrbrown.org. I will say this about the president. It's interesting that there are many people who were never Trumpers in 2016 who now say they would vote for him in 2020, including conservative Christians. And you say, but he hasn't modified his behavior. He's still nasty to people and he lies about things and he even smashes people that work with him and so on. And how could Christians get behind him? And what I explained in my latest article, which is on our website, uh, what I explained in my latest article is, is that Trump is gaining Christian conservative supporters more than he's losing them. That's what my own polling indicates, and that's what I hear anecdotally, and that's what I'm reading in other articles. And to me, the main reasons are that the left has gotten so radically left that, that the Democrat Party has gone to such extremes that it's, it's shouting its pro-abortion stance. It's shouting we're the party of, of the religiously non-affiliated. It's shouting it's how aggressive it is on things that just most Americans don't want that are too extreme. And I'm talking about social policies and other, other things like that. And then, while I'm convinced there is bias on the left-wing media and the right-wing media, I don't doubt that for a moment, and, and people are going to push their agenda, and sometimes it's mind-boggling to read news I mean, here the president released the transcripts of his Ukraine call, right, the, the rough transcripts, and the right is saying, see, nothing here whatsoever. And the left is saying, say, see, smoking gun. It's like, you're looking at the same thing and, and coming to totally different conclusions. In fact, these days, if I read a news item of some major breaking news, I'll go to a very conservative website and a very liberal website. If they all report it the same way, that I'll assume it's probably accurate because otherwise there's, there's so much spin on everything. But we've seen how obsessed the left-wing media is with attacking the president. We had two years of the Mueller investigation, and now the Democrat Party wants to launch the impeachment process, and they're ready to launch it before they've even seen the transcript of the Ukraine report and on and on, that there is a reaction now against that. So you know the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I'm not saying that's the best way to operate, but that's the way people often work and act and think. So you have a situation where you've got... The, the the enemy in terms of the ideological enemy of so many Christians, so many conservatives in America has gotten so extreme and they're attacking Trump and Trump's attacking them. Well, he's the enemy of our enemy and therefore our friend, even if we don't like a lot of the ways he does things. So 
have written about that, I think you'll find that article worth reading. Uh, there's a, a case being heard before the Supreme Court today, which could affect religious liberties. In fact, there are a few that the courts agreed to hear in this next session, which is just beginning now, that are going to affect religious liberties, are going to affect abortion and things like that. So a lot happening in the world around us, as always, will keep you posted as major news breaks. But we come back, we're going to switch totally to a spiritually related subject, namely, why do Christians fall away? Why do people that were in church with you and worshiping the Lord with you and in Bible study with you, now skeptical, cynical, maybe even completely atheistic, maybe converted to another religion? What are some of the reasons it happens? We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Do you have someone close to you, someone in your family, close friend, that was once a committed believer or appears to be a committed believer and is now turned away from the Lord? Why did they turn away? What What happened? What are the reasons they give? What's your perspective? Or maybe you're listening right now, or you're watching online, you're saying, well, that was me. I, I'm, I'm still listening to you, but I, I doubt things that I used to believe. Well, why? Let, let us know, 866-348-7884. And my purpose not, is not to argue with you if you call in. My purpose is to gather information and understanding. And to the extent that you'd like to interact, I'm, I'm happy to. All right. What gets me on this subject today? Well, as always, we give prayerful reflection in terms of what to talk about on the air. This past weekend, I spoke at an apologetics conference in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Friday and Saturday, great group of folks came together there. This coming weekend, we've got the big apologetics conference in Charlotte. If you haven't registered yet, go to ses.edu, ses.edu. You'll find info there right on the homepage about it. You can still register. Uh, I'll be doing two important sessions there, and I'll be doing a signing of my Job commentary, which is literally hot off the press. We're getting advanced copies for the conference. So we'll be talking about questions people have, defense of the faith and things like that. And then Saturday night, I did a Skype interview with the Skeptics and Seekers uh, group. It's one man who's a believer and he's made it known that came to faith about a year and a half ago and my materials on answering Jewish objections to Jesus were instrumental in his journey, which we're blessed to hear. And then another gentleman who had been in church for years and, and has now left that and is, is very hostile to the idea of, of God and the Bible as we understand him and understand the scriptures. So it was a great time, a very candid interaction. We had some real good pushback and they were candid with me and, and especially the, the skeptic candid with me and I with him. And I told him I love the pushback. But here he was saying, hey, I was in church for years. In fact, I was in a few different denominations. What was his relationship with God? I don't know. I wasn't in his shoes. But along with that, I was speaking with one publisher, and they were really interested in exploring this question and, and helping people who are struggling with questions of faith and how can we minister to them. So this has been on my mind 
And as I prayed and thought about things, I didn't want to go in a totally political direction today. So we, we've caught you up on a few issues of interest. But I want to focus on this question of people losing the faith. And last night, I, I remembered reading something from Ravi Zacharias some years ago. So I went back to it. And, and listen to this. This is uh, posted in, in uh, conjunction with his book, Has Christianity Failed You?, which came out, what, eight, nine years ago. So here's, here's what uh, is, is written about, about this. In 2006, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, RZIM, held an open forum at the Fox Theater in Atlanta to address the subject, Has Christianity Failed You? Tickets were sold for the event, and to the complete surprise of everyone, the event was sold out with a capacity crowd of over 5,000. People lined up offering to buy tickets from folks in line for higher prices. Before the event, an RZIM, RZIM cameraman walked the streets and asked people if they had rejected the faith they held at one time. One answered that because of a Christian's rejection of his gay lifestyle, he had done just that. Another answered that she had left her faith because she had fallen into adultery and could never live it down in the church. Others had their own reasons. Some said it was just intellectually untenable in an age of reason. They chose to come to the event to judge if there were adequate answers. It is estimated that for every one person who writes a letter and attends an event, there are 1,000 who agree. If the Atlanta crowd was any indication, the question is real and troubling. Why is it that many live with silent doubt, many leaving the evangelical fold for something else? Is there something wrong with the message, the communicator, the hearer? Is it all three? It's time to ask the hard questions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and why it seems as though God has made it so hard to continue believing. In fact, the son of a prominent U.S. senator phoned me with that very question. Why has God made it so hard to believe in him? Such skepticism is not just representative of the hostile. It also represents many honest questioners. And then it goes on with the purpose of that book, attending to lay out the response to those within as well as those outside the Christian faith, so as to understand what it is we believe and why it is so hard to do so. So in thinking about potentially, uh, potentially writing this this book to, to help people who are losing their faith or have lost their faith, skeptics and, and seekers and doubters, I started to, to compile my own list of why people fall away. But what have you seen? What have you experienced? Some would simply say, hey, look, a lot of people had a form of Christianity and never knew the Lord. And that's the problem. I have no doubt that's true. I have no doubt that many people raised with a form of the gospel think that is Christianity. And because it has no depth to it, because it doesn't transform their lives, because it has no power to it, because it doesn't change those around them that they see in the church, that they think this thing can't be real, and they, they leave this thing, including the Bible, including Jesus, including God, because they never really had it, but they thought they did. You know, it, it would be like this. If, if all your life you were told that dog food was steak— and everyone said steak is so good and steak is delicious and all of this. And every time you eat steak, it's dog food. You're like, I don't want to ever eat steak again the rest of my life. Ah, oh, you didn't really have steak, but you thought you did. Growing up in the Jewish home I grew up in, I thought that was Judaism. I thought conservative Judaism was Judaism. We, I, I knew there were some Orthodox Jews in the next town. I lived in a little town on Long Island called Island Park. Over the bridge was Long Beach. And I thought, yeah, uh, my dad told me about them. They were like kind of crazy. Like they kept all the dietary laws and strictly observed Sabbaths. So I was kind of like fanatical. You know, they lived over in Long Beach over the bridge there and, you know, a little fanatical. Uh, that's what I knew. I thought our Judy, that's, that's Judaism. 
and you show up, you know, a few times a year, and maybe you show up on, on the Sabbath if you have to, but you come in late, of course, and, and there's no real substance or, or, or strength to it. Of course, I could ask myself, how, how, was, how did this keep Jewish people for hundreds and hundreds of years? How did Jewish people with this kind of religious commitment survive all the atrocities they survived through the years? Never thought of asking that question. But once I came to faith, then I began to interact with religious Jews. And then I understood, oh, okay, that's, that's traditional Judaism. And that's, that's the devotion. That's the commitment that's required. All, okay, I understand it. And then... When Rabbi was talking to, he said, okay, now I understand that most people who claim to be Christians aren't Christians at all. It's like, got it. Most of those in America that say they're Jewish are nominally Jewish. Many of those, most in America that say they're Christian are nominally Christian. So for many, they, as, as one of my pastor friends said decades ago, the reason people, some people backslid is they never frontslid. It was they never got truly converted. So they say I'm deconverted, but they were never truly converted. But what about those who were truly converted, who really did know the Lord, who, who, as far as we can tell, were just like us. Which they were, man, I love reading the word, and I love to pray, and they go out sharing the gospel and all this, and now they, they don't believe at all. What, what happened? Why? There are a bunch of reasons, and, and we want to get into some of those reasons. I'm going to take some calls as well. So we'll, we'll start on the phones. Let's go to Michigan. Joshua, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. Yeah, so my, um, what I've noticed, that I, growing up charismatic, I've seen tons of people leave the church. I think it's just they leave disillusioned because, you know, um, a lot of charismatics focus on a lot of weird things like angels, gold dust, and, you know, when they don't see the Holy Spirit active in their lives, and a lot of them are just, you know, not very biblically informed or have really poor knowledge of scripture and i think that's just been my experience with the charismatic faith i mean i'm still charismatic at right yeah. now but let, let me just know, ask you um, this I, I have no question that there are people that get into all kinds of flaky stuff and that have no grounding mm-hmm. in scripture so of course they're going to be easily picked off either by some cult or just some deceptive voices or get disillusioned but when you say, you know, many are into things like gold dust, I mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't agree with that. This is something that is here and there in some meetings that 99.9% of charismatics around the world would never experience, never even hardly think about, you know. So I, I wouldn't want to be, uh, I wouldn't want to exaggerate that. You know, critics will point to certain things as if it's mainstream, whereas, it's, it's, you know, in, in, in my 40, almost 48 years in the Lord now, I encountered face-to-face gold dust or alleged gold dust one time, you know, and I've had, I've had a couple of people ask me about it. But without question, I want to reaffirm what you're saying. Many base things on experience more than the word. Many are, are superficial or just looking for some latest revelation. And because of that, yeah, it's very easy to fall away. If we're not properly grounded, very easy to follow. In, in the same way, kind of the flip side of the coin, sir, is that you have many non-charismatics that get into such an intellectual approach to Scripture and such an intellectual approach to Christianity that when the bottom falls out, they have very little experience with God. As, as one former cessationist said, for him it was the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. The, the reality of the Holy Spirit was gone. So the key is the Word 
and the, the spirit, the being grounded in the word and being grounded in relationship with God and having a, a powerful relationship with God through the spirit. That's essential. And I, I just encourage anyone tuning into this broadcast, go through the book of Acts and just note every time the Holy Spirit is referenced. You'll find it about 60 times, six zero, about 60 times. And then ask, what would the book of Acts look like if you took the Holy Spirit out? And then notice what Paul says about the Spirit in passages like Ephesians 1 or Romans 8 and see the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But it's not either or. It's both and. And flaky charismatics can easily be picked off because they're not grounded in the truth of Scripture and they're just looking for some other kind of experience. Joshua, thank you for the call. I'm charismatic because of Scripture. It's both and to me. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. G.K. Chesterton famously wrote, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Many people leave, quote, Christianity because they never really knew the Lord. They never really walked with Jesus They never really took him at his word when he said to seek and and earnestly go after him, that they did not do that. They sought out a convenience gospel where Jesus could add good things to their life. And when good things didn't happen, they walked away. Well, maybe they were never saved at all. Or if they did know the Lord, it was superficial. Others, that's not their case. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Why do Christians, quote, deconvert? A list that I just jotted down as I've been thinking about this in in recent days includes, oh, let me just see here what it includes. Um, One thing is, in a lot of church settings, you, you can't ask questions. And if you doubt, you're like condemned with your doubts. Where do you go with your questions, with with your issues? Uh, where do you go? Okay, I prayed and we were we really believed this person was going to be healed and they died or we really felt that God was going to answer this when it didn't happen. What do you do when prayers are not answered? When is it, when, what do you do when your theology doesn't seem to work? Do you change your theology, or do you abandon God, or do you question yourself? Where do you go with those things? The problem with suffering. You just see so much pain around you, people close to you. It's like, where was God? I mean, this person was, our child was in agony, and we prayed for hours, and we prayed, and, we, and they weren't healed, and, and the pain didn't let up, and I would not let that happen to my child. Where was God? Those kinds of things. The seduction of sin. Some just got pulled in by sin. They got pulled in, and, and now either they're going to be self-condemned, or they're going to just say, oh, I don't believe any of this anymore. Wrong theology. So we just think we push a button, certain things happen. We push the button, it doesn't happen. We question God. Uh, dealing with disappointment, we don't know how to deal with that. Uh, sometimes even in interpersonal relationships or bitterness and offense come in that, that someone hurts us in a certain way or someone that we were pursuing a relationship with pushes us away and next thing we have a problem with the whole church, next thing we have a problem with the gospel the church preaches, next thing we have a problem with God. That's another reason. Uh, you may have been hurt by abusive leaders. 
Maybe people took advantage of you in the church. Maybe it was worse. Maybe there was physical abuse. Maybe your money was taken and you think those are the ministers, those are the pastors, those are the priests, the leaders, huh? So abusive leaders misrepresenting Jesus. That's another reason people fall away. It's just this Bronze Age God, this bigoted book. And, you know, the, the Bible's teaching on, on gay and lesbian issues and things like that. And I, this, I've got to choose between my family or my friends and the Bible. That's easy. I'll choose my family and friends. Uh, th- those, are, those are some of the reasons that people fall away. Uh, let me say this. There is never a legitimate reason. Oh, it may be totally legitimate in that person's life or in your life. It may feel legitimate. But I'm saying ultimately, God has promised to keep us and he will. I have no question, I've said it a few times in the show today, no doubt whatsoever that if we will throw ourselves wholly on the Lord, he will keep us. He will keep us. I wholeheartedly believe that. And I've seen people fall away, even those close to me. But as I've seen them come back, ultimately, they know the reasons they fell fell away. They're not going to point a finger at God. That much is clear. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Connor in Spokane, Washington, Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on, man. You bet. Hey, first and foremost, just wanted to uh, thank you for sending me that copy of uh, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. I've been digging into it each night, and uh, it's it's an amazing read. It's super heartbreaking, and I just wanted to uh, thank you for sending me that copy. It's been a blessing. All right. Well, you're very welcome, sir. Thanks for getting into it and reading it. Um. Okay, so it's fun. Uh, you've just touched on a couple of the reasons that I've noticed um, that that our brothers and sisters have fallen away, and I think a big one um, is that is that the intellectual aspect of it has been pushed away for a long time, and so anytime anybody has a doubt or a question, and all of a sudden you know they get shot down yeah. um, from the leaders, um, you know they're not allowed to ask these questions, and so all of a sudden they start to think that. You know, if this thing isn't strong enough to withstand um, any sort of um, resistance, then it must not be real. Yep. And, and, and you know, an, another and, reason, Connor, that, that some, uh, some people, yeah, I'm just looking at a comment from a millennial. I know many people my age who drift away because they feel they aren't allowed to ask questions from a young millennial. Uh, one reason that some leaders don't allow questions to be asked is because they themselves are insecure. Meaning sure. that if, if you ask the question that threatens their faith. So but no, you can't, you don't ask that. So one reason that I love to open things up for questions and that when people come with questions, I said, that is a great question. I, I want to say, yeah, it is a great question. Right. And I'm, I'm confident enough in God having walked with them these many years and, and, being bombarded with objections from day one, Jewish objections. Then when I started college and university, it was all with, with people who didn't believe what I believed. And if any were religious, they were religious Jews, you know, so I, I never studied with anyone who agreed with me. So being constantly challenged, like, yeah, I'm confident that if I don't have the answer, we can find good, solid answers together. But shutting people yeah, down from asking questions, yeah, it gives you the impression that if I'm going to have to turn my brain off to stay in this church or to follow God, and I can't do that, something's wrong with that. Or they just get discouraged right. because they need answers. And, and how long are they going to be go, going on as a hypocrite? 
praising the Lord in church while struggling in their heart, and they just walk away. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. Um, and then there, there was one more, and it's, it's kind of been revealed to me lately, and it's the really conservative fundamentalist uh, reading of Scripture, um, where all of a sudden, you know, everything is to be taken literally, everything is, is this, that, and the other. And um, I think there's some nuance, obviously, to Scripture, and so I think when, when it's either all literal or none of it's literal, and there's a slight discrepancy, um, I think that can potentially push a new believer away. And then, honestly, I think a lot of the, the teaching of once they've always saved has hurt some people because they don't heed uh, their conscience in sin yeah. when they get born again, and they fall right back into it. So it's, uh, I think that does, uh, honestly, a lot of damage in the body because it's um, not really backed by Scripture. Yep. Yeah, all, all of the above, sir. I, I agree with you. And by the way, I remember a, a local gay activist in Charlotte raised in the church, and it said, hey, even if I'm wrong, I still go to heaven. Even, even if I'm wrong and being in a relationship with other men, I, I pray to prayer, I still go to heaven. So you talk about abusing a doctrine. That would be an example of abuse. Hey, Connor, thank you for calling. Listen, where the Bible intends to be taken literally, it speaks literally, where it tends to be taken poetically or in some other way or metaphorically, those are the expressions that it uses, and we need to read it as it was written. Uh, let's see. We go to Jeremiah, also in Washington. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello. Thank you, Dr. Brown. You're welcome. Um, I've seen two different sides of um, believers leaving their faith. Um, the one side is a group of people who've gone to the direction of the Messianic Jew, or the Messiah-believing, but still getting into the Hebrew roots. And they learn about this deep study, these deep Hebrew words, and they, with their strong passion, they dive into this, which I enjoy, personally. But then they hear one, two, maybe three or four things that are so far that actually deny the Messiah, they don't even question it anymore because it sounds deep and it sounds educational that they've actually thrown out Messiah completely because of their um, intellectual studying without digging deep, trying to reprove the Messiah. Yeah, let me just comment on, on, on that first. I've seen it happen for decades what happens is Jewishness mm-hmm. becomes more important than Jesus. And I'm, I'm 100% on recovering the Jewish roots of the faith. I've written whole books on it. I'm 100% in favor of the Messianic Jewish movement saying, hey, we're, we're Jews and we continue to worship God as Jews, but Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Yeshua is the one that we follow, and, and we're trying to point other Jews to him. But what happens is, especially many Gentiles, but it ha- happens to Jews as well, that you get into Jewishness. That, oh, that's an interesting tradition, or, oh, I never heard that or learned that. And then, so the pendulum, let's say it's swung all the way over to forgetting the Jewish roots and completely replacing Passover with Easter as if Passover never even happened, and, and it's Jesus Christ, and, and there's no concept that Christ means Messiah. So it, it swings one way, and then people recover Jewish roots, and that's great and helpful, but then it keeps swinging in the other direction and goes too far. The way the Holy Spirit spoke it to me 25 years ago was this. The whole Jewish temptation is in the soul realm. So that realm of, of the emotions and the mind, the whole Jewish temptation is in the soul realm. It will fascinate, stimulate, complicate, suffocate 
So be on your guard. So what we have to do is always keep Jesus, Yeshua, central, sharing the good news with others central. Uh, if, If that's the case, and then life in the spirit central, then these other things can enhance and be beautiful. But when we start looking to rabbinic tradition rather than scripture, when we start to get fascinated by Jewishness and oh, and, and it has this appeal and, and it feels spiritual, but it's actually not. And it, it can lead to backsliding and complete denial of the Lord. Yeah. And you said you saw another extreme, the yeah. opposite direction or? Yeah. So um, this is kind of my life. Um, I have not wavered per se in my faith, but I could easily see how people could. Um, like I said, I've studied the hero roots and I've talked to churches who believe things that are different, um, such as um, bat- water baptism being required works of salvation, and things that don't align with Scripture. And I try to ask them about these things to the pastor or to the elders or deacons or whoever might be in charge of churches. And I've gone to churches for like a five-year period trying to talk to somebody, filling out the little information sheets, and they re- either they flat or don't respond, or through an email, they're like, we're not really interested, or we're too busy, and it comes with excuses. And one person told me, well, you're just so smart with the Bible, people feel intimidated about you. And I'm thinking, I'm not that smart, which is why I have all these questions. Right. But I was very diligent in seeking questions, and seeking answers, and following up, and trying to make it work. Anyone who's not, like, so much diligent, that they're willing to spend five it, years of the life yeah. asking repeatedly... Why wouldn't they walk away? Yeah, that, right. In, in other words, obviously, we can't stop, when I say we, leaders, those in ministry, and answer every question from every person all the time. But within the context of a local congregation, the pastor, the larger congregation, you have to have staff, something to help people, seekers. Because others, yeah, they won't make the effort, they'll fall away. At least nowadays, though, go online, hopefully a lot of answers are there. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-348-7884. As we've been talking about why Christians fall away uh, let's just segue into a related topic, topic of Messianic prophecy. We'll go to Nathan in Georgia. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Uh, so I have been kind of struggling with this concept of Messianic prophecy, and I believe in the Bible and, and everything, but like uh, pertaining to like Isaiah 53, for example, uh, there's been a recent objection brought up that's completely different than uh, what most people would concede. Most people would say it would be Jesus the Messiah, or it would be the nation of Israel. But there's this new objection that says it's King Uzziah, and I don't know if you've heard of that one, but it has a lot of uh, different things that seem to back it up. Yeah, uh, there there have been many historical interpretations about individuals uh, from from Moses to Jeremiah to specific Israelite kings to the nation of Israel, to the righteous remnant in Israel, to the Messiah, son of Joseph, to the Messiah, son of David, uh, and combinations thereof, Isaiah 52, 13 to 15, speaking of Messiah, son of Joseph, 53, 1 through 12, the righteous remnant, all kinds of variations like that. But no, it can't possibly 
uh, referred to Uzziah for uh, quite, quite a few reasons. Uh, number, number one, there's nothing in the text that would tie in remotely uh, with him, beginning in 52.13, that speaks of him being highly exalted uh, to the point that the nations will cover their mouths. There's, there's nothing present, past, future that could possibly tie in with Uzziah in, in that regard. Uh, another thing well, is... It, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I was just going to say that uh, the person... Uh, well, where I got this from, the person saying this and made this claim... Uh, was saying that, like, when it comes to the translations, uh, it can be often really uh, well explained away by very bad translations on certain parts. Like, the taken from prison and judgment is just a very bad translation of taken from ruling. Uh, and also, like, there's well, also nonsense. other examples the, in, like... No, nonsense. no, the first thing, I'm starting at the beginning of the passage, which is 52.13, which cannot possibly okay. be applied to Uzziah. Okay, he's not highly exalted. There is no place where he'll ever be highly exalted in biblical prophecy to the point that the nations of the earth shut their mouths. All right, he was also not terribly beaten. He had a serious skin condition. We call it leprosy today, but it was something different than Hansen's disease, was leprosy as we know it. That's one thing. Second thing is his smiting does not bring healing to anyone. All right, third thing is he was smitten for his sin, whereas the servant is smitten for the sin of others. A fourth thing, he dies because of this. And then fifth thing, he rises. So there's nothing. And his alleged bad translation, I, I read it in the Hebrew, period. And what you just claimed in terms of a better translation is, is a complete violation of the Hebrew. So this is, this is very easily dismissed. I mean, every point of it is wrong, which is why you won't find rabbinic commentaries. You won't find scholars. You won't find serious students of Scripture even entertaining something like that. It's just infringed interpretation someone's putting forward that is utterly worthless based on a careful study of the Hebrew. I can utterly assure you of that. In Zechariah chapter 10, verse 3, and this is going back to the whole idea of, you know, being smitten, basically, uh, and the punishment being on the king, uh, there, there's references like, uh, like my anger uh, is like against shepherds, and I will punish the leading male goat. So, like, the, the person was also saying that, like, uh, you know, the king takes the punishment for the people in that regard. So in a but way, he, didn't. Like he, he was smitten. Sins. He was smitten because of his pride that he entered the temple to burn incense. He was judged by God for his sin. OK, it's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. I mean, this person is 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 pulling stuff. It, it, it's complete nonsense. You know, the argument that it's Israel or the righteous remnant, at least that has some some scriptural basis that we have to address. But this is complete myth. What does it say? that we saw him suffering and smitten and thought he was suffering for his sin, he was suffering for ours. He was suffering for his sin. The Bible is explicit on it. He was judged, and, and, his, and his son had to co-reign with him. So, Nathan, this is really one that's not even worthy of your time, to be honest with you. It is so off-base, so twisting of Scripture. And just read what the Bible says exactly about Uzziah and why he was smitten, and then read exactly why the servant was smitten. The servant was smitten for the sins of the people. And when God was angry with the shepherds, like Zechariah 10, it's because the shepherds were sinning, whereas the one in Isaiah 53 does no violence, uh, commits no violence, there's no deceit on his lips, and God calls him my righteous servant, and he bears the sins of others. So you need to... Well, then, 
Go ahead. I, I'm sorry again. There's one last thing that I'd like to address, though, and it's in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26, verse 22, and it says, Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, wrote Isaiah, son of uh, Amos, the prophet. So, so could, I mean, if it's saying that Isaiah was writing about Uzziah, then how do we not know if this passage could be attributed to uh, Uzziah? I mean, because I understand what you're saying. That it because it can't work, refer to him. Like, it, it can't refer to him. If I'm writing about Martin Luther King, and then in the midst of it, I tell you about Mickey Mantle, the baseball player, that's not Martin Luther King. You know, Martin Luther King was not a baseball player, and he was a black man, and Mickey Mantle was a baseball player, was a white man, and they lived at the same time. So <laughs> it's, it can't possibly. And we know, we know that, that their references, uh, Isaiah 6, so Isaiah has a vision the year that King Uzziah dies, and then some of the sins of Israel are recounted. If you look at Isaiah 1.1, that's what interfaces with Uzziah. But nothing in the text, I mean, whatsoever even comes close to it. In fact, if there's one candidate you want to say it could not possibly be him, it's Uzziah. Could not possibly be Uzziah if, if you want to single someone out, you know? So the thing is, you got to look at what the text says. People come up with these theories and they sound catchy. And it's like, oh, could it be? No, it's impossible. Read Isaiah 52.13 to 53.12. You know, that's the, the full text, those 15 verses. Read them out loud 10 times over. Read them in 20 different translations, and you'll see it can't possibly refer to Uzziah. He was smitten for his sin of pride and judged by God for an ugly act of thinking that he could do what only the priest could do. And he's judged by God publicly for it and rebuked by God for it in the Scripture. Whereas the servant of the Lord is highly exalted after going through terrible suffering which actually leads to, to death, and is not suffering for his sin, but for the sin of his people. He himself is guiltless. Text is very explicit that on that. All right. Hey, Nathan, how old are you, by the way? Uh, 15. 15. You keep studying, man. The key thing is don't be easily moved. In other words, there's a reason we believe what we believe. It's been through the text over and again. But if any question ever comes up and you can't get through on the phone, just write to us at askdrbrown.org, and we're very happy to, to help answer your questions, okay? Okay, thank you. Sure thing. All right. Love to hear from callers like Nathan. Wonderful. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Chris in tech. All right, we're going to go there. Um, let's go to Linda in Marietta, Georgia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Um hey. I wanted to ask a question about why Christians, or not really ask a question, but see if you've had any experience with something like this. Um, my relationship with Christ has just deepened and gotten a lot richer. I mean, very rich. I'm in, I've been in recovery for about 30 years, and I sponsor a lot of people in the AA program, mm -hmm. and somehow walking with Christ and having this relationship has been, it's, it's been everything to me. And um, and it's such a, a joy to be able to carry this message to other people. But I'm not very educated. Um, I can't ask uh, very, you know, uh, complicated questions about the Word of God. But I wanted to ask you about this thing. Um, sometimes I have thoughts come into my head, and it, I think it's from the enemy. It says, you know, um, this is just stupid. You're going to die. I've, I've been diagnosed with leukemia. And you're going to die, and there's not going to be anything there. And you're just an idiot to believe this. And But I think that's, I wonder if people who maybe don't have 
a, as rich a relationship or as deep a relationship with Jesus Christ, if that can pull them away, just the enemy trying to pull them off. And the other yeah. thing is, is that sometimes... Go ahead, go ahead, Ben. No, 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 time is short, so you finish and then I'll weigh in. Go ahead. The other thing is sometimes I'm hit with waves of unworthiness. I yeah. feel afraid to face God, and I will face God soon. And I love Jesus, and um, and I've accepted Jesus, and I, I know what the Bible says, but still, you know, before I came to know the Lord, I was not a great person, and sometimes I'm not a great person now. I can be selfish, and I'm gone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Linda, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump in. I hate to be rude and cut you off, but so I can answer you, respond before the show is out. There's no question that there is spiritual warfare. There's an enemy. There's a devil who wants to destroy us. Sometimes our own mind, just our own tendencies, our own upbringing, our own thought life, things we're exposed to, puts negative thoughts in our heads. But there is a real devil who lies to us, and we we must be close enough to the Lord and know Him well enough to recognize when the enemy's lying to us and the enemy's trying to destroy us. And this idea of being unworthy drives a lot of people away. They don't understand God's love. They don't understand that we approach the Father through the cross. They don't understand that, that we stand forgiven by the blood of Jesus and that through that holy boldness, through the cross, through what he's done, we come to God and he wants us to come to him, warts and all, pain and all, questions and all. He wants us to come to him as beloved children. If we have that security that we're loved because of God's grace, because of the cross, because he set his favor on us, if we start there, it solves so, so many problems that we otherwise experience. Hey, Linda, may God's grace be with you. May you experience his healing power, and may he flood your soul with the confidence to enter into his presence at any time as a loved daughter of God. Hey, friends, we've got a great interview coming your way tomorrow. You do not want to miss it. And join me, Charlotte, the big apologetics conference this weekend. 